pretty much everyone loves Christmas, right? And though I know most of you adore this holiday, believe it or not, Christmas is even better than you think. Now, Christmas is the only Christian holy day that is also a major secular holiday, arguably our country's biggest. The result is two different celebrations happening at the exact same time. At the exact same time. Uh, and each is, is observed by millions, virtually our entire country. And so here we have these two massive celebrations celebrating really two different things going on at the exact same time. And so if you search for a Christmas playlist, you're asking for mental and emotional whiplash. With little warning and no explanation, you'll jump back and forth from rocking around the Christmas tree to Silent Night. From Blue Christmas to Joy to the World. And from Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer to Low how a rose ever blooming. Now, this brings some discomfort to both groups, <laughs> to both celebrations. Many Christians are bothered by the secularization of the holiday. And many secular people are bothered by the overtly religious messaging. Now, on one hand, I think it's kind of neat to share this holiday with our secular friends and family. I think it's kind of neat. Uh, but on the other hand, as our society grows more and more secular, and it is by the day, if you didn't know that, uh, I fear that the, the roots of Christmas will become more and more hidden as time goes on, even for Christians. You see, what has happened over the years is these two different celebrations have kind of started to blend together into this mishmash of the two. And so I think it's muddied the waters for everyone in various ways. That's what this sermon series is about. It's about clearing away the fog so that we can see the true wonders of Christmas. Our text tonight was written by the prophet Isaiah about 700 B.C. You could turn there now. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 9. We'll look at verses 2 and then verses 5 and 6. Isaiah's uh, kind of in the middle of the Bible there if you have your Bible. And if you don't have it, the text will be on the screen. And also, again, it's at Life's Journey. Uh, or sorry, um, ljc.life. Ljc.life if you don't have your Bible. So we'll look at chapter 9 and verses 2 and then verses 5 and 6. This is the prophet Isaiah writing. In verse 2 he says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Verse 5. Every warrior's boot used in battle 
and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let's pray together. Father, what an incredible time of year this is. And we thank you for gathering us here this evening. And we pray that you would help us with these words and with your spirit to clear away some of the fog that has entered our minds about this season so that we might see the true miracles that you have provided us through the sending of your son. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so maybe you would agree, but I think one of the best parts of Christmas is all the lights. I mean, I just love all those lights, man. Uh, actually, my family, uh, we just drove last night to Nakaluga Falls to see their awesome display. How many of y'all have been to Nakaluga and see all the, the lights there? Man, it's a neat place. If y'all haven't gone yet, there's still time. I think they do it uh, probably all the way through Christmas. Uh, it is really a remarkable uh, place there in Gadsden. And so we just had a, an absolute blast. And, and we try to do that just about every year if we can. We just, all of us just love all of those lights. It's really an incredible display there. Uh, and I know lots of you do the same. Well, you know, there's families traveling all over the place to see lights. You know, we'll go to Dollywood or Times Square and all kind of different places to see the lights of Christmas. And now you may already know this, but the lights of Christmas are not just decorative. They're not just decorative. There's more to these lights. They're actually very symbolic. Now, no matter what you do in a room, you have to first turn on the lights. Do you not? Very few people would walk into a dark room and start doing something without turning on the lights. You need the light to be able to see what's going on in the room. Now, Christmas contains many wonderful truths. And we're going to get to several of them. But it will be very hard for you to grasp the others unless you grasp this one first. That the world is a dark place. And you will never find your way without the light. Look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. The prophet says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. The Bible describes our world as a dark place. But what does that mean exactly? Well, it means first that the world is filled with evil. And untold suffering. And second, it means that no one knows enough or has the ability to cure the evil and suffering. 
We are blind people walking in darkness. But sadly, we don't realize it. <laughs> we don't realize it. We're convinced that we can fix things. We can fix it. If only we can elect the right people. If we could just get the right folks in office. If only uh, science will just advance a little farther. Oh, then, yeah, then we can cure what ails us. A, uh, a recent article in the New York Times stated this. The meaning of Christmas is that love will triumph and that we will be able to put together a world of unity and peace. In other words, we have the light. We have the light within us. And so we are the ones who can dispel the darkness in this world. We can overcome poverty, injustice, violence, and evil. But can we? <laughs> Pardon me for being skeptical. I think not only is the New York Times article wrong, I think the exact opposite is true. Humanity cannot save itself. In fact, if history has shown us anything, it's that the belief that we can save ourselves has always and only led to more problems. It has only led us into more darkness. And if we are, if we are our only hope, If it's true that we are all we got, then frankly, the implications of that truth are quite depressing if we're all we got. Here's the famous atheist Bertrand Russell admitting what his worldview entails. Quote, but even more purposeless, more void of meaning, is the world which science presents for our belief. That man is the product of causes which had no provision of the end they were achieving. That his origin, his growth, his hopes and fears, his loves and his beliefs are but the outcome of accidental collocations of atoms. That no fire, no heroism, no intensity of thought and feeling can preserve an individual life beyond the grave. That all the labors of the ages, all the devotion, all the inspiration, all the noonday brightness of human genius are destined to extinction in the vast death of the solar system. And the whole temple of man's achievement must inevitably be buried beneath the debris of a universe in ruins, end quote. Now, that is a dark view if I've ever heard one. <laughs> but it's a correct view if nature is all there is, if we are all we got. 
Dr. Russell is correct. <clears throat> Humans are nothing but the accidental byproducts of evolution, eking out an existence on an infinitesimally small speck of universe dust called Earth in a galaxy and a universe headed straight toward heat death. The only thing we have to look forward to in Dr. Russell's universe is more darkness. But Isaiah disagrees with Dr. Russell. And here the prophet speaks of a light dawning on this dark world. Now what is he talking about? Well, the prophet is using the sun as a symbol. Well, what does the sun do? Well, the sun brings life, truth, and beauty to our world. Without the light of the sun, we would die. And what Isaiah is saying about the light he is talking about is that if we end up without that light, we will also die. Without this light, we are blind people walking in a dark world with no hope of escape or healing. So exactly what light is Isaiah referring to and how does it come to us? Look at verse 6. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. The light is a baby, a baby boy. And this child of light will bring radiance and beauty and color and healing and truth to this dark world and our dark hearts. But how is it possible for a child to do this? Well, it's because of who this child is. Look at the end of verse 6. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The four titles applied here to the child can only apply to a divine person. The baby boy is the Almighty God. Now, there is absolutely nothing like this claim in any other religion. Nothing like it. This is a shocking and blasphemous claim that God should become a baby. But that is exactly what Christianity claims and exactly what Christians celebrate. Now, it's almost too limiting to say that we celebrate at Christmas. In reality, we stare dumbstruck at the baby in the manger. In awe 
lost in wonder, love, and praise. I mean, just think about the implications of what Isaiah is saying here. If Jesus really is the mighty God, the everlasting Father, then you can't just like him. You can't just like Jesus. In fact, if you read the Gospels, nobody just liked Jesus. Either they were scared of him, or furious with him, or they knelt down and worshipped him. But nobody, nobody simply liked him. A confrontation with the mighty God will force you to respond in a radical way. And if Jesus really is the wonderful counselor and prince of peace, you should want to meet him, to confront him and respond with worship. Don't you see? Think about it. Think about it. When you're going through something difficult in life, doesn't it help you to talk to someone who's been through that same thing? Who has actually walked in your shoes and suffered where you have suffered? Isn't that helpful? Of course it is. But let's think about this. If Isaiah is right and God was born in a manger, then that means we have something that no other religion can claim. We have a God who suffered. We have a God who understands us. There is no other religion that says God suffered that God had to be courageous, that he knows what it is like to be abandoned by friends, to be crushed by injustice, to be tortured, to die. Christmas proves that God knows intimately what you're going through. When you talk to him, he understands. Author Dorothy Sayers wrote this about Christmas and the life of Christ. I just love this. She writes, quote, The incarnation means that for whatever reason God chose to let us fall, to suffer, to be subject to sorrows and death. He has nonetheless had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. He himself has gone through the whole of human experience from the trivial irritations of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain, humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. He was born in poverty and suffered infinite pain all for us and thought it well worth his while. End quote. Isaiah calls him the wonderful counselor. 
which in Hebrew can be translated beautiful counselor. Perhaps now you're getting a, a glimpse as to why he called him that. Christ had the infinitely high position as mighty God. And he chose to give up that high position and take the low position of a servant. Because of his great love, he became one of us. Immersing himself in our condition in order to know, to experience our darkness and to vanquish our darkness with his light. A wonderful, beautiful counselor indeed. Now, when you and I find something beautiful, maybe the ocean or a sunset, we dwell on it and we stand before it in awe because it is satisfying in itself. It is the thing that satisfies us. Christians don't celebrate Christmas because Jesus is useful to us, because he can meet our felt needs. No. We don't celebrate because he's useful. We celebrate because he's beautiful, because he's wonderful. He takes our breath away. He is the only light we've ever known. You might be sitting here tonight and wondering, how can this light that you speak of, this wondrous light, become mine? My life is dark and my heart is dark. How can I have this light? Well, notice that Isaiah doesn't just say, for to us a child is born. He also said, for to us a son is given. A son is given. This child of light is a gift. And it's free. A free gift sheer grace from your creator. Verse 5 hints at this. Let's look at it. The prophet writes, Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. Isaiah speaks here of a great battle but notice that he says, every warrior's boot used in battle will be destined for burning. What is he talking about? Well, every other religion on earth is based on works. On works. You pick yourself up by your moral bootstraps, follow the rules, and then you'll get to heaven. 
In order to get to God, you must do X, Y, and Z. But Isaiah is saying here, uh, no. No. You're not getting to God. God is coming to you. You don't have to pick yourself up by your moral bootstraps. In fact, you can go ahead and throw those boots in the garbage. You can throw them in the fire. Your work boots are destined to be burned. For you see, a child is coming. A child is coming who will do all of your working, all of your striving, and all of your fighting for you in your place. Now, what exactly would that look like? Well, Isaiah tells us that too. In chapter 53, when he writes, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. You see, Jesus was a great teacher, a great one. And the light of his teaching continues to burn to this day. But he did not just come to live a virtuous life and give us great teachings. No. This child that we celebrate was born to die. He said so himself in Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, when Jesus went to the cross, he paid the penalty for your sin and for my sin in our place. He stood where we should have stood. He took the punishment we should have taken. And when we trust in Jesus' work on our behalf, rather than in our own moral efforts, God forgives us and saves us by grace, through faith in His Son. And this great salvation, this light that flashes upon us with all its new life, truth, and beauty comes to us all as a free gift. It's free. It's free. You see, Christmas is indeed about receiving a gift, but this gift doesn't come from a store. It does not come from Amazon. It comes from your creator. And to accept this true Christmas gift, you have to see that you are a sinner, a rebel against your creator, a child of darkness. You must see that. And you must see that your only hope 
for salvation is through grace. You must see that you cannot work your way to it. You cannot give to God, and that your only hope is if God comes to you. And then after you see that, you must give up control of your life to Jesus. You must hand your life over to him. Which I know sounds scary. It sounds scary. Every skeptic and atheist that I've talked to over the years says something very similar. Even if they're very attracted to Christianity and very attracted to Jesus, they start going through all the things they can't lay down. Man, that sounds really neat, but I can't lay down this and I can't lay down that and I can't stop doing this and I can't start doing that. Look, I know, I get it. <laughs> I went through all that kind of stuff too when I was working my way um, through the Bible and thinking about Christianity. I, I, all those thoughts popped up in my head too. I get it. To lay your entire life down at Jesus' feet sounds really scary. Until, until your heart comes to the stunning realization that the only reason Jesus was born in that manger and the only reason he lived and taught and the only reason he allowed his own life to be taken from him was for you. You cannot lay your life down for him until you realize that he laid down his life for you. On the cross, the most brilliant light in the universe was snuffed out. After Jesus died, Matthew's gospel tells us that darkness fell over the entire land. The world's only true light descended into darkness. Why? Why? To bring you, a child of darkness, into God's beautiful light. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your precious light that you have given us. This world is so dark and our hearts are so dark and we have no one to blame except for ourselves. We've made it this way understand that we deserve nothing from you but punishment. But somehow, some way, by the miracle of your love, you sent us a light. You sent us your son. so that he himself would take on the darkness 
what a gift. What a gift, Father, you have given us in Jesus. And we pray, Father, during this season as our lives get so busy and cluttered with, with all the different things to do and people to see and places to go that your spirit would help us clear away the fog. Jesus.